And uh, we're going to be kind of going through uh, on chapter by chapter basis. And uh, for the sake of time and efficiency, we're not going to go through every single verse, lest we be here all night and all day t- tonight, tomorrow, and just we can be here on and on. Uh, but we're going to move through this, the scriptures in the book of Corinthians and discuss uh, different things that are uh, in the word of the Lord. Uh, to set the foundation for uh, this study tonight, uh, as is evident, you might have already gathered from the title of this book. Uh, it was written to the church in Corinth, Corinthians being the descriptor for the residents in that city. But the city's name is Corinth, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and the city of Corinth was a major uh cosmopolitan or metropolitan area and it functioned as a seaport and major trade center much like you have san francisco or oakland it was a very populated densely populated area where there was lots of trade and commerce uh, a very diverse uh, particular uh, city and the the young church in the city of corinth had begun uh, even in its early stages to begin to it began to fall into divisiveness and disorder in the absence of the Apostle Paul, who was uh, the pastor of the church. And Paul's letter to the church at Corinth addresses the following areas, in, in, as we'll begin to discuss in the coming weeks tonight, included uh, human loyalty and unity. Uh, it discusses immorality and purity. It discusses freedom and stumbling blocks. It discusses males and females and their divinely ordained positions. It discusses worship and order in the church. And it also discusses Gnosticism and the resurrection. And these issues that we've already mentioned tonight are uh, universal and they involve the great themes of the human race. Uh, They are not isolated to a particular uh, point of time. Amen. It's. Uh, I've heard it said many times of people as they refer to the book of Corinthians uh, and the writings of Paul to the church at Corinth that that was for a specific time and that was addressing specific traditions of that day. But the writings to Corinthians are universal and they have great themes that uh, fully uh, encompass uh, the, 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 the human race. And this book becomes relevant for every generation that followed the church at Corinth. Amen. Hence we should not relegate these teachings to a particular period of time and cast them off from our lives. Uh, we see clearly in, in uh, chapter 1 and, uh, and verse 2 right here in the first page of the book of Corinthians. It says, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus... Called to be saints, and then he says it like this: with all the, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Amen. Paul begins to uh, let the uh, readers understand that this is not just for the church at Corinth, but this is for those from every generation to all that in every place would call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thus his writings and his teachings to Corinthians were not simply temporary solutions. These were not just temporary solutions to problems of a particular culture. 
but rather these that he begins to uh, give to the church. These were timeless truths, amen, that Paul begins to give to the church. And we can move to verse number five. And it says it like this, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. And verse five uh, shows us that it was Paul's desire that the church be enriched by Jesus. And just a couple verses later, verse number seven, he says, so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He also reveals his desire that the church should not be behind any gift. Amen. The church should be a, a organization, an organism that is at the forefront of society, that is at the forefront, amen, of all things. And we should be a church, amen, that understands, amen, timeless truths. And the church of the living God should not be uh, as such, we can deduct from the scriptures, should not be a deficient church, should not be a laggardly type of church, but should be a church that is leading out front, a church that is making waves, a church that is, amen, uh, that is at the forefront of things happening in the world. Amen. I heard a message preached years ago about a particular uh, uh uh, aspect of the scripture and he began to talk about different things that uh, had, begin, had begun to come to light in society uh, how that when uh, smoking cigarettes first came out amen the preachers began to preach against cigarettes and against smoking uh, and not fully even understanding all the uh, biological implications but into the power and the inspiration of the Holy Ghost began to preach about that destructive habit and it was just down the road several years that science began to evolve and, and the studies that different institutions came up with began to tell us that yes in fact smoking causes emphysema it, it's destructive to the body and there was many things that you read in scripture and you've heard preached across the pulpit that at first you think wow that that doesn't really make sense and there's no sign uh, scientific truth to back it up but the word of God is cutting edge and it will embrace the preached word of God will find out that what has been preached based in the word of God amen the world later on comes to realize that yes in fact the world is round and it's not a flat surface that yes in fact that there's life the life of the flesh is in the blood and if we suck the blood out amen the body will die and there is Biblical truths that are cutting edge. Amen. And even when preachers stand behind the pulpit and still begin to preach about things like vaping and people begin to say, well, vaping is not bad. It's 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 uh, there's not as much carcinogens. There's not uh, destructive elements. But then now you see the studies begin to come out and the results begin to come out of how people's lungs are failing them because of vaping. And there's things that are preached across the pulpit, amen, that if we're not careful, we can try to relegate that and say, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about, amen. But there's there's a cutting edge to this book, amen. There's a, uh, there's a church that's on the forefront of society, if you will, amen, when we stick to the scriptures and we preach what thus saith the word of God, amen. amen. There are things that we, uh, if we'll put our trust in the book, in the word of God, amen, it will save us a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and a lot of grief, amen. And we should not be a church that is 
behind. But we should be a church that is on the cutting edge and at the forefront of society and preaching things, amen, and leading and doing things, amen. Uh, another aspect of that is the church could be doing something, amen, to benefit this community. That city leaders begin to look and say, how did you do that? We want to model our outreach program after what you're doing at Haven of Peace or whatever it would be. Amen. And the church should always be out front leading. As God leads us, we follow him. And there's reproductiveness in the church and there's growth. Amen. And it sets a model for the world. Amen. To follow. We don't follow the world. The world, the world should follow the church. Amen. But we should not be a church that is deficient in things that the scripture lets us know is available to us. Another aspect of that is the gifts of the spirit, the working of miracles. We should not be a church that's deficient and devoid of miracles and devoid of the gifts of the spirit. We should not be a church that is lacking apostolic revival, but we should be a church that experiences it service after service. And if we're really going to be apostolic, like the Bible says in the book of Acts, it would be souls are added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Souls are added to the church daily, such as should be saved. But the workings of the Spirit should be manifested in our church. Skipping a a few verses along in chapter number one. Uh, of Corinthians, he, he, the writer begins to write, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul admonished the church by affirming the need for unity in speech. When he says speak the same thing. In thought, when he says the same mind, and in opinion, when he says the same judgment. These are things that there ought to be unity in the church about. Amen. Amen. There shouldn't be this divisive, well, I believe differently from the way pastor believes, and I believe differently from the way you believe. Let's just get back to the book. Amen. And let's just see what the scriptures say, and let's, let's fall into alignment with what God has for our church Amen. And Proverbs chapter 10 and 10 says only pride cometh by contention. Amen. The contentions that oftentimes arise in the church are because of pride. It's because of self-will. Amen. It's because of self-aggrandizement. When we want to ourselves to be lifted up above uh, that we should be or that we ought to be. And so we seek we seek our own will. We seek self-will. And we seek to be always right on everything. And we never can uh, admit that, you know what, I, I, I'm not perfect. I'm on my way. I'm, I'm trying to get better. Amen. But the spirit of pride, if we're not careful and the pride gets into the church, amen, it will cause contentions. It will cause divisions. And people will begin to wonder what's happening here because people get lifted up with pride. Amen. But that pride, amen, precedes a fall. Amen. Paul says in Corinthians that ye speak the same thing, or one translation says that you hold the same doctrine. And it would be advantageous, amen, for our church to have the a, a, a same doctrine, the same mindset when it comes to the scriptures. 
I've heard it said before, people, amen, well, I just don't believe the way pastor believes. It's not a matter of agreeing with myself as a pastor. I'm not uh, some dictator that, that sets the law, but uh, there, there is a side to uh, uh, leadership in the church when the Bible uh, gives uh, responsibility to the pastor, to the ministry, to set things in order and to understand the divine order that God has placed for the church. And there ought to be a unity of doctrine. And the Bible the, continues that ye be perfectly joined together. One commentator said to fit or to adapt anything to its proper place so that it shall be complete in all of its parts and harmonious. And when something is perfectly put together, there's harmony. When the body of Christ is in perfect alignment and there's uh, the, the different body parts are put in the right proper place and they're fulfilling their godly responsibility, godly obligation, and you see a fully functioning body. I'm thankful to God tonight that I'm not physically handicapped. I'm grateful for that. I thank God that I've got full use of my, my limbs and the members of my body. But oftentimes the church limps through its existence because the different parts of the body are not fulfilling their obligations. And people sit back and they just say, well, I'm just going to show up. And while showing up is half the battle, there's more that God wants this church to accomplish. And the only way that this church can accomplish what God has destined it to accomplish is the body parts begin to move and begin to function. Where is everybody tonight? The body parts are not fully functioning even in this church. There's folks that ought to be here tonight, but they're out of alignment. Not every one of them. I'm not casting stones at those that are not here tonight. But there's a good chunk of people that ought to be in the house of God tonight. But they're disconnected to what God is doing. And they allow things to enter into their lives that disconnect them from the house, from the, from the presence of God and from the body of Christ. None of us would show up to church and leave our hand at home or leave our right leg at home. We, we, I'm, I'm coming all of me, everything. I'm not leaving half of me at home. The body ought to be complete. And I know that would probably be a miracle, as I've been told, uh, for there to be 100% participation in every service. I'm not naive to think that that's going to happen. But as the body of Christ, there ought to be a coming together. There ought to be a gathering together, a sense of community. And the Apostle Paul, in this particular line of scripture that talks about ye be perfectly joined together, his desire was that they would be united in feeling and that every member of the church should occupy his appropriate place as every member of a well-proportioned body or a part of a machine has its appropriate place and use. Amen. The body of Christ is handicapped when folks stay away and when folks disconnect themselves. Amen. I'm just going to say it tonight. Amen. The body of Christ is in need tonight of different members to be.
begin to come together and stop saying, well, I'm just tired and, and I'm wore out. Amen, honey, we're all tired and we're all wore out. But somehow I'm going to make it. Somehow I'm going to push my way through the crowd and attach myself, amen, to the vine. Because when I'm disconnected from the vine is when I begin to wither away and life begins to leave my body. I need you and you need each other and you need me and we all need one another. As the body of Christ, amen, be perfectly joined together, not disconnected, but perfectly joined together. The reason for this, for that perfect joining together, is to prevent, and, and the reason for having the same doctrine, the same speech, the same judgment, is that there be no divisions that arise in the church. Because when there's divisions that arise, divisions will hinder the work of God. There will be people that stay home. Well, I don't like the way he said that or she said that to me or he looked at me, she looked at me and they sized me up. I saw how they looked at me and, and we get this contentious divisive spirit. Well, they didn't have a right to do that. It's not the first time and it's not the last time you're going to be offended. But I tell you what, people that have been out in the world have, have not been better to me. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to turn my back on the church because somebody in the church did me wrong and, and go out to the world because the world is perfect. I understand, hey, the world's not perfect. The world is flawed, deeply flawed. But in the house of God, there's a, there's a whole lot more striving for perfection and striving to, uh, to live for God and to please God. And that's what I, the, the kind of environment that I want to raise my family in. Verse number 10 is where Paul begins to deal with contentions in the church and make no mistake about it. There's going to always be contentions in the church. There's going to always be uh, somebody that uh, uh, wants to contend with you. There's going to always be somebody in every church. If you stick around long enough, you'll find them. And sometimes you see them in a the mirror. There's going to always be somebody. And this is because the church is not a perfect church. We are flawed people striving for perfection. Amen. But again, make no mistake about it. The, the church is a far better place on its worst day than the world is on its best day. Amen. The, the, uh, living, for, living for self on its best day can't compete with the, the worst day living for God. Because on your worst day living for God, when all of hell comes against you, you still got peace. You still got joy. Amen. You still got Holy Ghost. And you still got hope for the future. But on the best day in the world of sin, amen, there's hopelessness and there's unrest. Amen. There's confusion. And there's no future, amen, on its best day in the world. I'm going to tell somebody tonight, you got to understand, amen, what you have. The blessings. we got to count our blessings. we got to count our blessings. The first contention that arose in the church in Corinth that Paul begins to address was that there were several factions of people in the church that claimed superiority of righteousness. There were folks in the church 
that claim to be superior to their brother or sister because of how they came to God. The first faction was those that came under the Apostle Paul's ministry. And the second faction was those that came to God under Apollos' ministry. And the third faction was those Jewish believers that came uh, from the ministry of Simon Peter. And there was the fourth faction that said, we don't owe our allegiance to any minister of the gospel because we came alone from Jesus Christ. And so no other minister can speak into my life because I came because of him. And everybody had a self-righteous mindset. Well, you know, I came to God because of this minister or that minister. Or I came to God because God brought me here. And, and so I'm right and, and I'm superior in my thinking and my, my mindset. And, and I, I've got a better understanding of the scriptures because of how I came to God. Well, I came to church I came to God in this church and that's a great church and I came to God because of that minister and he was a great minister and we look down on others well no I can't do that because that mine is superior to yours and while we all bring our history with us we can never use that as a mark of superiority well I came from this church I came from that, that minister when it comes to the body of Christ We are united as one. We become as one. The fourth faction claimed loyalty to Christ and therefore apparently did not need, did not feel the need to be led by any of Christ's ministers. I've I've dealt with people like that. They say, well, you know what? I have to answer alone to him, not not to any pastor, not to any minister. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't have to submit to a pastor because I came to God because of God. And, and that person, they, 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 they say those things with a the, with the feeling of superiority. Well, you, you're submitted to a man because you're, you're inferior to me. I only submit to God. And, and I don't have to answer to you. I'm going to tell you, everybody in this church needs a pastor. Yes. Amen. No, nobody's excluded. I have a pastor. You need a pastor. We, we all need a pastor in our life. We all need a man of God to speak into our lives and to declare things, even that... Even things that we don't want to hear from time to time. Even things that, uh, you know, that doesn't really suit me well. That doesn't really, uh, I don't like the way that that, that uh, rubs me the wrong way or that's, that's roughly my feathers, if you will. And, and this particular mindset or, or these factions may seem silly to some, uh, but we still have many people today who think like this. Well, where I came to God, we did things differently. So, Mine is superior to yours. Others may say, well, I was raised differently than the way pastor teaches. And my way is therefore superior to his. Others may say, well, I just don't like the way pastor preaches. I'm used to the style of my first pastor. Or the style of my favorite TV evangelist. I just like the way that they do it. So I, I, I don't, I'm not going to submit. But Paul addresses this contention by asking the church a question. And it's found in verse number 13. He says, is Christ divided? If we're the body of Christ and we represent him to this world, was he divided? No. Then why are you divided? And he begins to ask and he reminds in verse 13. We were baptized in Jesus' name. And therefore we should be united around Jesus Christ 
and not divided because of it. Amen. We, we take uh, we take comfort in knowing that, you know, I've been born again of the water and spirit. Amen. You are not my enemy. We ought to be coming together. Amen. The church is a gathering together. It is a gathering. It is a, it is a church. It is a community of people of like precious faith. And we later read in chapter three, our backgrounds reveal that is uh, some that there are some who plant the seed. You just skip a few chapters in Corinthians. There's, he begins to say there's some who plant the seed and there's others who water the seed. But ultimately, it's God who gives the increase. So when you, be, you, when you determine, you know, I'm going to give credit to that person or to that person, it's not. You're looking at the wrong way, honey. Amen. It's God who gives the increase. It's God that began to work in my life. It's God that saved me. And it's God that's going to keep me. If I follow the pattern, then the word of God, amen, that will help to keep me saved. Amen. There's going to be some that come along in your life and they plant a seed and then God removes them. And then God brings others into your life or into the church who begin to water the seed in your life. And then the season begins to pass. And then it's God in a particular season of your life that gives the increase. That gives the increase. But God gets all the glory. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, We are labors together with God. Ye are God's building. Every member of the body has value. And every man will receive his own reward for his labor. Skipping to verse 17, if you have your Bibles. Amen. Hopefully everyone has their Bibles tonight. Verse 17 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul then shifts in verse number 17 to teach us that what man sees as foolishness is actually powerful in nature. And how that God uses the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It would be easy, amen, to be on the outside looking in and say, look at those people. Those are foolish people wasting their time. They could be doing doing a number of things, but yet they sit and they listen to a man go on and on about the scriptures. And then they go home, amen, and it looks like foolishness from the outside. Amen. But it's uh, God uses the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It's not so much in the wisdom of words and in the beautiful sermons that tickle our ears that change us. But it is in the demonstration of the spirit and power of God. It's still in the demonstration of the spirit and power of God. The wisdom of man is no match for the wisdom of God. Again, it's easy for us to think we know better. What's he going to teach me? What's that, what's that young man going to teach me? I know a whole lot more. The wisdom of man is no match for the wisdom of God. And you know what? You can stand behind this pulpit and you can preach and teach something that's pretty. And if God doesn't move, and there's never any response or results, amen, it's, it's just sounding brass and tinkling sample. There are so many preachers, there are a dime a dozen, that just prepare pretty messages. 
And they're just perfectly opening statements and close and, and nice little conclusions and something that tickles your ears. You say, wow, that was really neat what he said. But you leave unchanged. May this never be the, the case in Abundant Life Center in this church where you can just come and go and never be changed. But may the, the preaching that comes behind this pulpit and the teaching that comes behind this pulpit leave real lasting impact and change in people's lives. Oftentimes man thinks that he is so smart and that he doesn't need God. But 1 and 25 says the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. We are not to outthink God. Amen. A lot of times man wants to outthink God and try and figure things out instead of trusting in God. Amen. And allowing God to work his perfect work in our lives. God often uses things and people who in the eyes of the world are insignificant and weak. God wants to use people, amen, that are qualified. But the problem is is that God just only looks for qualified people. Those qualified people will only take the glory for themselves. And they'll they'll say, well, yeah, that God did God did it, but he also, he, he used me because I was very talented. Amen. God doesn't want to use people, amen, that are puffed up and proud and think that they can do it all by themselves. And they cite their resume over and over and over again. But honey, amen, where is the fruit of your labor? Amen. God wants there to be genuine apostolic revival in this church, in this city. Amen. God wants to use folks, amen, that will realize and recognize without Him I cannot do nothing. I cannot do anything. And Paul wanted the church to realize, amen, that the world's view of them has nothing to do with the actual reality of who they were. The world's view of you has no value. With the actual reality of who you actually are. Our value doesn't come from this world. It comes from God. The reason for verse 29 that it says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Is because God wants the glory to himself. And when God's wisdom is displayed. Human pedigree, knowledge and ability pale in comparison. God can use anybody that he chooses to use that will get under the uh, auspices and influence of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And just let God use him. That's why God will take a group of people that are not quote unquote qualified and God will anoint them and use them while the qualified will sit on the sidelines and critique. They'll sit on the sidelines and they'll mock and they'll ridicule. Because as we've heard, and it's very true today, God God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. You say, well, I'm not qualified. Amen. Just get under the influence of the Holy Ghost. And God will qualify you. Amen. God will use, amen, anybody that has a willing heart and that is of a willing mindset. Our faith must be in the power of God. As we see from the beginning, five verses of chapter number two. Now moving to the next 
uh, chapter in Corinthians, those first several verses. Amen. Paul had already uh, preached masterfully with amazing oratory. If you reflect back to Acts chapter 17, as Paul stood upon Mars Hill and began to preach, amen, to the Athenians about the unknown God. And, and he came up with this uh, uh, this clever concoction of how I'm going to reach these uh, very uh, smart people and I'm going to reach them in their own language and I'm going to uh, preach this masterful sermon about an unknown God. And we, we talked about how wonderful it was and it was great for that particular time, amen. But looking at the scriptures that follow the message he preached on Mars Hill, there wasn't many that were changed because of that. So later on in Corinthians, Paul begins to reflect back and says, I'm not tired of coming to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I've got to all, my hope is only if we can have a demonstration of the spirit and power of God. Amen. Every time that I preach, the Apostle Paul said, I've got to have a demonstration. There's got to be power. There's got to be spirit that move amen in every single service hallelujah we've got to have and we can never be satisfied without having a move of the holy ghost and we've got to be hungry for it we've got to desire it we've got to say god i've got to be a part of the apostolic church where the spirit moves and lives are changed and folks are impacted hallelujah he'd already preached about the unknown god and now he he says in verse 5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man but in the power of god pretty messages Pretty teachings won't do anything if it's not anointed. We've got to have anointed preaching, anointed teaching, and anointed worship. And each one of those categories, anointed preaching, teaching, and worship, is not only the responsibility of the platform. We say, well, that man or that group's not anointed, so I'm not going to worship. It's it's a two-way street here. As the preaching goes forth, amen, the responsibility is upon the saints to take that seed that's been thrown their way and throw it back to the preacher with a hearty amen or a hallelujah or preacher or however. And then when the worship team gets up here and they're, they're, they're casting in, uh, their, their spirits are being projected upon you. We're worshiping the Lord. It's the responsibility of the people, amen, to respond with worship, to respond with praise and to respond with the dance. And, and however you respond to this spirit and presence of God. Yes. And when the teaching goes forth, amen, it's equally important to respond to the teaching, yes. to respond to the word of God. Amen. It's a two-way street here. That's right. Let's never be a church that sits on the preacher. Let's never be a church that just sits on the worship team and says, well, I don't, like the, I, don't, I don't like the way they're doing it. It doesn't really do anything for me. Just get in the Holy Ghost. Just move, begin to move. I remember many times as I was a young boy coming to church and I didn't feel like there would be services where the preacher would say, just jump for joy. I said, I don't feel like jumping for joy. I don't feel excited. What am I going to jump for? But I began to jump anyways. And I began to worship God. And I began to stretch myself. And I began to say, okay, God, I'm going to obey what that preacher's saying right now. And as I began to do that, I began to get victory. I began to experience 
additional, amen, uh, levels of, uh, deeper levels of God than I had before. And the Bible says, it, it, we, we're, gonna, we're gonna continue to move through, amen, verse number, uh, verse number six, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. Paul then begins to build upon this in verse number six, through the end of chapter two, talking more about the wisdom of God. In verse number nine, I want someone to read verse number nine for me. Read it out loud. Now, it's very easy, and I've done this myself. I've always looked at that scripture and thought that that was only talking about heaven. Eye has not seen it, ear has not heard it, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for them that love him. But here Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 64 and 4. And Paul is telling the church, what he's really telling the church is not necessarily just about heaven. But what Paul is telling the church is that spiritual things can only be discerned spiritually. You cannot just simply uh, observe the things of God and understand the things of God because you've observed it all day long. That's what we hear sometimes when somebody will say, well, I listen to preaching all day long on my podcast or on the, on the TV or on the radio. I hear it all day long, so therefore I understand the things of God. Therefore, I've got an understanding. I've got a corner on how God works. And they're just observing the kingdom of God, but never, ever getting involved and saying, God, let your spirit work in my life. I've got to get along with God, and I've got to engage and interact with the things of God. Because Luke chapter 17 and verse 20 says, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Amen. You cannot discern things spiritual unless you begin to get in the spirit and you begin to allow God, amen, to fill you with his spirit. Amen. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Stop trying with just simple observation to understand everything. Get in the Holy Ghost. Get in the Holy Ghost. The carnal flesh is incapable of grasping revelatory truths, biblical truths. Your carnal flesh, my carnal flesh, is incapable of understanding what is happening even right now. That's why, amen, again, we preach about prayer. Come early for prayer. Seek the face of God. Amen. Come ready because if I come and I'm just still with carnality and all the things of this world and I haven't had time to unplug and put His Spirit in my life again, amen, I'm not going to make the connection that God wants me to make in my mind and in my heart. Amen. That's why we need the Holy Ghost working in our lives. Because the Holy Ghost is that thing that will lead you into all truths. It is the carnality of those in the church that limits them from experiencing the deeper things of God. Chapter 3 of Corinthians 
says, And I, brother, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. They were carnal. The church had gotten very carnal. They had gotten very disconnected from the things of God. And they were incapable of being uh, fed with solid meat, solid substance. Because Paul knew you can't handle the truth. You can't handle some things in the word of God because it's going gonna, it's gonna to clash with what you're doing so much. You're going to give up. Amen. Instead of saying, uh, you know what? You, you've been seeking God. you got the right spirit, the right heart. I'm going to give you some meat so you can begin to digest it and you can begin to get stronger in the Lord. It's the carnality of those in the church that limits them from experiencing the deeper things of God. And this verse is a scripture here in 3, 1 through 2 shows us the people ruled by their carnality restricted them to uh, just baby food. Their carnal nature restricted them to a, to a diet that was only for babies. Milk and squeezers. I know about that a little bit. Just milk and squeezers. Because they, 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 they were so immature that the preacher couldn't tell them anything. You can't handle it. Just, just milk and squeezers for you. I don't want, maybe I'll preach a message one day about milk and squeezers, but you know what? Let's not be a church that's just milk and squeezers. Let's not be a church that's just a milk and squeezers kind of church. Just, just give me something simple, preacher, so I can, I can digest it because my, my digestive system is not working properly. I haven't learned to grab a hold and eat and, and begin to uh, process things into my spirit. I haven't learned to, uh, when, I, when the word of God comes into my life and, and, I, and I'm hit with the word of God, and it, 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 makes, it makes its a, a, a approach arrival into my life. And the preaching goes forward. And the teaching goes forward. The, the word is cast into our lives and we don't digest it. It's just false. What does that digestive process look like? A lot of times it looks like, you know what? I'm going to come down to an altar and I'm going to digest that word. I'm going to pray that into my spirit. I'm, I'm going to take notes. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to meditate upon that. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to download the podcast. Uh, I'm going to hear it again because I want to digest it. Everything that was preached from that pulpit, I'm going to digest it. Let's learn how to digest the word of God into our lives. Let's learn how to digest some things and to process some things. Chapter 3, verse 3 reveals a truth that carnality breeds envying. He says in verse number three, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And the truth is that carnality and carnal people breed envying and they breed strife and they breed divisions and it hinders spiritual growth. It hinders spiritual growth. What is carnality? We, We oftentimes use that phrase, throw it around. And don't always define terms. But carnality is our fleshly lusts and desires and the indulgence of those lusts and desires. A carnal person is one that indulges themselves in the lustful desires of their flesh. And they never pull back or refrain themselves from satisfying flesh. 
That's why he says, ye are yet carnal. And there is among you envy and strife and divisions. A church that has strife and divisions is a carnal church. Because they haven't learned to master their flesh. They haven't learned to get control over the things that try to bind them and lead them all the time. Chapter 3 also shows us that the growth of a church is a product of many labors. We can read in verse number 7. Read verse number 6. I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. The growth of this church is going to be the result of everybody pulling together. Even when you're not involved in the service or you're not involved in a particular event. Don't sit back. Well, I'm not involved, so I'm just going to kick back. Get involved in every service. Let's not let's not be people that say, well, I'm not up there singing, so I'm not going to worship with them. I'm not up there preaching, so I'm not going to preach with him. I'm not I'm not doing something, so I'm not going to get involved. It, the church, the growth of the church is a product of everybody coming together. Even in a in a, a large organization, there's teams that get together and they accomplish different tasks and they work together. One person that's, that can have the role of director or uh, vice president can't say, well, I did everything myself. They can say, I led the charge, but there were many people that supported me and supported my vision and supported the dream and they worked to make it happen. And in this church, there's got to be the body parts, amen, of the church that come together and work to make it happen. Everybody has to continue to be involved on some level. Verse number 9 of chapter 3, he says, uh, Ye are God's husbandry. That term husbandry is equated to a cultivated field or a farmland. Husbandry. Hence the church is not an untended wilderness, but rather is cultivated by those equipped to do so by the work of the ministry. And fruit is a byproduct of the soil cultivation. If we let the preaching and the teaching from the Bible cultivate our hearts, the soil, and we let it work in our lives, there will be fruit that is a natural byproduct of this work, of the word and spirit in our lives. And we'll be a fruitful church. When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you said, well, you know what? Maybe I'll teach you a Bible study. Would you like a Bible study? When was the last time you let someone know, guilty, I'm a Christian? Or do we just live incognito and nobody knows that we're a Christian? Nobody knows who we are. When we step out and we let our light shine and we invite people and we tell them about what God's done in our lives, we fulfill the scripture in verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. We work with him. God doesn't do all the work. 
God doesn't do all the work. We can't sit back and say, well, God's going to bring them. God's going to do all the work. We work with him. God works with us. And this leads Paul to further elaborate on the foundation of a thing. Continuing in chapter 3. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Verse 12 here, contrasts. Three common combustible materials, wood, hay, and stubble, against three rare, highly valuable, non-combustible materials, gold, silver, precious stones. The fires, the trials, and the storms of life are going to test which category we fall into. The trials and the storms that we go through in life is going to test what you're made of. What we're made of. It's going to test, did you cut corners? Did you select expediency over quality? Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, amen, everybody's work is going to be made manifest. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and is telling them a lot of things. He's trying to help the church. There's times we, we step behind the pulpit and we talk and we exhort, we admonish. And there's things that begin to come up in the scriptures as we go through them. It ought to be a unified church. It ought to be a, a church of quality, a church of cutting edge, a church that is united. A church that all speaks the same thing, all has the same uh, mindset, the same doctrine. Not superiority in the church, not pride that breeds contentions, that breeds strife, but a humble spirit. And the last thing I'm going to leave with tonight is another passage of scripture. The writer says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, he would exalt you in due season. If we'll humble ourselves. On a daily basis. On our face before the Lord. Saying God I need you. God I can't do without you. I'm thankful for all the blessings. I'm thankful for all that you've done in my life. If we'll humble ourselves. Then God will have to humble us. God, I don't want God to humble me. That's the last thing I want. Is God to just take it all away. And, and you know what? God can take it all away in a moment. Everything that I have. That I think I own. God could rip it all out from under my hands. And I'll be left naked and vulnerable. And but it's it's who I am on the inside. Is that what that, that's what matters? I've heard stories of uh, and one of the most famous ones is a man by the name of Dave Ramsey. How many's heard of Dave Ramsey? Amen. You might start calling him Brother Dave if you hear him all the time, but Dave Ramsey. Uh, reached a, a place of wealth or very early in life and because of some faulty habits it was all ripped from him later on in, in a 
trial and storm in his life. But because he had something on the inside, he knew how to make money. He knew how to deal with stuff. He could regain it all. And similarly, in a spiritual sense, there can be things that come into our lives. But if we got the goods on the inside, amen, amen there could be storms and trials that come our lives and things that attempt to wreck it all. But if we got a hold of God, amen, God can help us to rebuild it again. And God can help us to go forward. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet tonight, amen, as we uh, close with a word of prayer. Amen. And I'd like for us just to take a few moments this night and just uh, thank the Lord for his word and pray that God would help us to be the church that he wants us to be. Amen. Let us not come from, come behind in anything, but let us be a church that's on the forefront. Amen. God, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the teaching of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have tonight of hearing your word. Teach, Lord, in our hearing, God. We pray, God, that you would help us as a church, Lord, to not uh, be just spiritual babes in Christ. But help us to understand and to know how to properly digest the word of God into our lives. Help us, Lord, to get anointed with the preacher, with the teacher, with the worship team, God. Help us to not let pride get into our lives, God. Help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. I pray you help us to be at the forefront, Lord, of revival in this city, a revival in this county, revival, God, in this state, Lord. Help us to not be a backward church, but help us to be a church on the forefront, Lord. Help us to reach for more. Help us to stretch ourselves. Help us to not be carnally minded, but to be spiritually minded that we could understand the things of God in our lives. Help us tonight, God. Help us to have a mind to serve the Lord. Help us to have a mind to know the Lord. Help us to have a mind to to make it to the very end. Help us to have a mind, Lord, to be fruitful and productive in living for God. God, would you have your way in this church? God, I pray you would get all the glory. You would receive all the honor, Lord. We thank you, Lord, in faith today. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everyone say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this Friday night, there is youth. It's happening right here at 7 o'clock, I believe. Uh, it's for the youth and young adults. It's Cornerstone. We're going to be having a bonfire, uh, chili cheese nachos, uh, a lesson. And uh, it's going to be a good time of fellowship. There's going to be some games here as well. So we want to encourage the youth and the young adults. Amen. And let's bring our young people. Amen. Let's bring some friends. If you have tithe or offering. Amen. Uh, we encourage you to be faithful in your giving unto the Lord. Amen. And uh, God is going to bless this church. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you back here on Sunday morning. Amen. Turn around and shake someone's hand.